the sound you're listening for today is a certain sound of the gospel. Amen. You know, there's a lot of voice of confusion out here and the trumpet's given uncertain sounds. But we want to come back to the same sensible gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what, that's the trumpet we want to hear. That's the trumpet we want to follow this morning is that sane, sensible gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's bow our heads together as we go to prayer today. I want you to pray for me as you pray. I want you to pray for yourself as you pray. Pray that God will give us the utterance to speak and pray that God will give you a hearing ear, an attentive ear. Just ask the Lord to drive away every other distractions, whether it be the weariness of the body, whether it be um, the distractions of life. Ask the Holy Spirit just to have uh, uh, his way today to speak to you in a very special manner. This is a very, very great hour that we're living. And you, wanna, you want to make sure you make the best of this moment this moment may never pass your way again this opportunity may never be granted to you again so why don't you ask God to come by your way today in a very special way and to give an utterance let the voice of God speak today through the word Father we love you we thank you for your truth we thank you, Lord, that we have heard, Lord, a trumpet sound in this day, the gospel trumpet that has gathered us back to the homeland. And we, we heard a prophet bring a message and over again when the, that when the trumpet gives a, an uncertain sound, we don't know how to prepare ourselves for the battle. Lord, it's important that we hear the same sensible gospel, Lord, and that we leave the voices of confusion behind and let the Holy Spirit guide us into what is truth. Because in that truth, there is liberty and there is freedom and there is joy and there is every promise of God. Lord, I pray that you will give us utterance today. I stand here as a mortal. I stand here, Lord, not a great person or great somebody or, Lord, but just a, just a little servant of yours that wants to stand here, Lord, in this day, in this generation, but realizing that you called us to the kingdom in such a time as this. And it is a time of action. It's a time to identify the, the Haman that would want to destroy the church. And we know that would not be any of our brothers or person, but that would be the devil. And I pray, God, that you'll help us to separate, Lord, from things like when we speak about maybe a brother or, or about a situation. Separate that from the devil that would want to cause confusion in our day and hour. But help us to hear the simple truth of the gospel. I pray for those that need healing today. 
May they realize, Lord, that you, you are the healer and that you're rising with healing in your wings. And I ask, Lord, that you'll touch every life, even those that are listening by the way of the internet this morning, that you speak to them in a very special way. Make them to realize that you are their healer and deliverer. I ask it in Jesus' name. You'll bless the bride around the world and bring healing to her, Lord, wherever she is. Let the healing power of God overshadow her today, bringing restoration and ever assembly. We pray in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. Amen and amen. God bless you. Man, good to be in the house of the Lord together today. And we want to welcome you here and hope uh, that the Lord will bless you in a very special way. If you're a visitor today, I hope you'll feel right at home with us. Amen. And, um, and we will all get to be able to greet you, shake your hand, let you feel welcome. Amen. It's good to be children of God, isn't it? Amen. It's nice to feel a welcoming spirit. Amen. From the children of God. And um, we got a special moment today. Uh, we have a, one of our young people that has re- reached the age of 12, which, you know, Jesus reached that age and went into the temple and, and, uh, and he began to be about father's business. So we kind of call that the age of accountability, you know, where, where they become, to real, become conscious of their need of God. And uh, so we have a young lady that the Lord has been moving on in their home, and uh, that's uh, little Abigail Adams, and she's given her heart to the Lord and wants to be baptized today in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Amen. Amen. We know it is not just baptism that saves us, but it takes repentance first, right? A turning from our sins. And no matter who we are, how, you know, we're, we were born in sin. We were all sinners and fell short of the glory of God. And we need God's grace and mercy and his blood to atone for us. Amen. I'm glad to say that we have a blood. There is a blood that atones even today. Amen. Um, also, I just heard the request a moment ago about uh, the little sister in uh, Indiana that is, has had, uh, was healed miraculously of cancer and then now has the enemy to come again and, uh, in, uh, with cancer again. I've seen this happen before. And I've seen people be prayed for and then God healed them and then uh, even as much as a few days later come back and say, well, why didn't the healing last? Well, in that case, they last as long as your faith lasts. Amen. And, um, but however, you know, even when you're standing there with a man of faith and keeping him there strong, that you've got to realize the enemy has blow after blow after blow that he can bring against you. Amen. Until, you know, as long as you are in these bodies, you know, we... We, uh, death works in our members. Let's just face it. I mean, we, we everyone are, are dying at this moment. And so, you know, we get a reprieve from it by going by the, to the throne of grace and saying, God, stop this. And God sometimes will add years and give, give grace or give a time for his people to prepare. Make, you know, 
maybe uh, let their children grow up a little more, and, but, but then take them off the scene because God has an appointed time for us. Sometimes like Hezekiah, he will, he will uh, stop it for a while, but it still comes. And, you know, one day if we tarry, well, you know, we too will have to cross over on the other side. But we're not going defeated. We're going out as the children of God. Amen. Holding the victory. Amen. Even in the face of death. So blow after blow, he can come, but stand there knowing that, hey, if God made you to walk on water once, come on, Peter. He can make you to walk on water twice. Amen. The still God, the God that is still able to cause you to be victorious once is able to make you victorious again. Amen. So take courage and and stand there with the man of faith. Hosea chapter 6 in verse 1 is where we will read today. And... and, um, So, you know, um, we're going to read from Hosea chapter 6, and we will read from verse 1. This is where Brother Branham took the sermon from recognizing your day and its message. And uh, this is very important that we recognize our day and what its message is, right? Amen. And um, so for our title today, we are going to use the scripture to to speak on the return to the homeland of the Bible. To re- the return to the homeland of the Bible. So read with me from Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord. You know, he's, he's our homeland. Amen. That's where we're returning to. We're returning to the Lord. For he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall, be, shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. Therefore have I hewed them by the mouth, by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burn offering or worship. But they like men have transgressed the covenant. They have, there they have dealt treacherously against me. Amen. May God bless you. You can be seated. Now I'm going to remind this audience today about our Sunday services and, and why that, you know, we, we do what we do. And, and remind you that some years ago, because of people traveling in and being very difficult uh, for the evening service, for people to, 
to, to after a big meal or whatever, come back again, and you know, the weariness, the toil of the week, and everything else, and then that second service, I felt like I could do it, but I felt like, you know, it was really difficult for the people to get back with me. So I felt like we should just strike the iron while it was hot. And so while we were here, just have church and make one service and combine the two song services and combine the two preaching services and stay a little longer and get her done. Amen. So I'm reminding you that I'm prefacing you. You may be here a little while today, but remember, you're not coming back again tonight for a second service. Amen. So um, we're getting it all in one. And I pray that you will, uh, you will benefit from this service. I hope that you will, you, will just, you will just open up your heart today and allow God to speak. Now, as I told you the title of this sermon, The Return to the Homeland of the Bible. And we're speaking on the people of the book has returned to the homeland of the Bible. And um, we, we are referring to this because we uh, know that all creation has groaned and travailed, and they're still in travail and groaning today. There's a lot of trouble in the land. There's nature itself is groaning. Our bodies are groaning. Uh, all creation is groaning. And, but it's watching and waiting for the revelations of the are the manifestations of the sons of God, a time where the sons of God will come back into the dominion where that Adam fell from. Now, we're, we're really living on the cusp of that because a man once more has the book. The book, the title that Adam lost is now back in the hands of a man again. Now, that man is Christ Jesus. And however, he didn't take it for himself, but he took it for us. In other words, he was, he didn't need redemption. And we were the ones that were lost, but he became our savior. He came and took on our human battles and defeated death, hell, and the grave. And, and then he took the book that Adam lost from the hand of God as a man to give it back to man, and we're right here in the very hour of God's great claiming work of redemption. And uh, of course, that does not negate his purchasing work. Anybody that is saved is saved because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago at Calvary, and his blood is still as efficient and efficacious as it was then. And so we must always keep that in mind. Now, Brother Branham would talk about the scripture that we read from Hosea of return to the Lord. Remember, he said that they, Israel, would be scattered and they were. And he said they'll return to the Lord after they've been scattered and he would bind them up. Notice, return, be scattered. The second, they were torn and was blinded. That's just exactly what happened. Uh, he will heal us and bind us up. Like Ezekiel 37, the dry bones, the valley full of dry bones. Ezekiel saw it and there return again. Notice Hosea said after two days, after two days he would return to them. He will receive us 
and give us, revive us. Now, revive doesn't mean resurrection. Revive there means the same word as used anywhere else. I looked it up. It means a revival. And he will revive us uh, after two days. That would be in the third day. He will revive us again after he has scattered us and blinded us and tore us. And Brother Branham took Hosea's prophecy and he said that was 2,500 years ago. So 1,000 years being the day with the Lord, that's 2,500 years ago. So he said they're well into the third day where that Israel is now being gathered back to their homeland. And remember, this is important as, as uh, you listen, like a student like Brother Gary Stanky back there, you understand that, um, that, that Israel is a type of what the bride of Christ is, right? We, you know, men, believers of the message, we understand that Israel is a very type in the natural of what the bride is spiritual, So God is also calling a revival, a restoration, a bringing forth of a people back to their homeland. Now, you know, again, he says the Jews were blinded for the very purpose that we could have sight. They were torn apart and scattered as a nation and rejected their Messiah that we might receive the Messiah. And and there that there might be a people called out of the Gentiles for his namesake. Now, the man comes forth, the woman takes his name, these blinded Gentiles. Now, here he refers to what's happening to us today. There's a strong delusion in the land. There is a blinding that is going on. And, and in this moment, good people, sincere people, great people fail to recognize what God is doing in this hour And if they're not careful, misplace and mislocate the scripture. Amen. And and place us into a day and a time that, that is not even so. Now, it's very important that we recognize our day, what God's doing in our day, and what our message is. It cannot be mislocated or dislocated or confused. We've been called out of confusion. But how the devil would like to take the very message that would bring light and, and, and would, would want to take and, and distort that in the minds of people and bring Babylon again. Bring confusion across the world and, and the nations. Now, um, again, and I'm not even talking about even confusion out there in the denominational world, but that spirit of, uh, of blindness even comes down upon those who stand in the message of the hour. And people get confused as to what is to be our portion, what is to be fulfilled in this hour. I'm laying some background here, but I want to hold your your thought here. He said, the church this day is prophesied to be blinded, to reject the evening time message. Revelation 3 and so forth. Thou art wretched, miserable. Notice the bride's condition the other night of the church, uh, naked, blind, and don't know it. 
Lord Jesus, be merciful to us. The Bible said she was naked. I never saw it till just now. Laodicea church was naked. And when she appeared the other night in the preview of the bride, he's talking about she was naked. I never noticed it and didn't know it. Now, Brother Branham, you know, when he is uh, speaking about Israel now returning back to their homeland, remember why they got scattered is because they rejected their Messiah. Amen. And the gospel turned from them to the Gentiles. And so they went into the dispersal. But now we see a regathering of them back to the world, back to their homeland again. And Brother Branham, I hit that point the other day. Brother Branham talked about those Jews coming back to the land of Israel. And it so moved his heart. To see them people coming off of the plains and crippled and maimed and old elderly and and broken people and coming back to their homeland. And and he described how that as they were getting on the, trying to get them on the plane, they would not get on the plane. You know, they, they, these people had been crammed into trains and taken to death camps. They've been taken to places promising a utopia, promising a better life, and taken there and and killed and exterminated. Amen. Now, so they they had been taken to death camps. Could you imagine their flashbacks? Could you imagine their fears, their trepidations, until finally the book was opened to them? And, And there, one of their teachers open up the book and says, get on this plane because the the Bible said, the word of God said. You see, this wasn't Hitler now promising a better life. This wasn't a denomination telling we'll take care of you. But now it's the Bible being opened up. And when the Bible was being opened up, he opened it to Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4. And where he said, you've seen what I did to Egyptians, and I like bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Hallelujah. So he said, the prophet says, you're going to go back on eagles' wings. Now get on this plane. We're taking you home. Amen. I'll tell you, church, that's exactly the plan of God in this last day is to do the same thing. He's got an eagle prophet. Come on, somebody. Amen. Spreading the wings of of Jehovah Eagle there with the Old and the New Testament. And he's taking the people on his wings back to their homeland. Back to the homeland of the Bible. Hallelujah. Oh, you can see how the eagle had stirred its nest. You know how many times Brother Branham preached this? You know why? Because the eagle was stirring her nest. But in Deuteronomy 32, 11, he explained what was happening. How was they uprooted out of Egypt and now taken to the promised land? It, here's how they got in there at that time. The eagle stirreth her nest and fluttereth over her young and, and spreadeth abroad her wings and taketh them and bearing them on her wings. Amen. God raised up a prophet in that day. Amen. An eagle. Somebody help me preach now. God took a message and I'm, of, I, of let my people go. 
Amen. And he began to stir the nest. He began to harden the hearts of Pharaoh. He began to make life difficult. Amen. The eagle would stir in her nest. Amen. To what? To take them out of Egypt to their homeland. And again, what you've seen happen in the, in the World War II and the, the, the Holocaust and the awful thing, it was the eagle again stirring his nest, fluttering over her young. Amen. To bear them on eagle's wings, to take them back to their promised land. Oh, but what did God do for you spiritually? Amen. God stirred the nest you was in. Amen. Come on, Sister Rissler. You were, you were a Mennonite. You were very probably happy. Your parents were there, your grandparents, and on and on, back and back before you. Come on, church. Amen. You, you, you were there. You were comfortable. You thought that was your place. You thought that that was your homeland. But the eagle started stirring this nest. What was he doing? Gathered his young. Amen. Gathered you out of the world. Gathered you out of sin. Gathered you out of denomination. Gathered you out of religion. What was he doing? Bringing you back to your homeland. Amen. They brought back to their place on eagle's wings. Revelation 12, 14. And to the woman Israel. Now it comes. This is not coming out of Egypt. This is coming back to her homeland. And to the woman, we're given two wings of a great eagle. Here's how they finally come to know their Messiah. Here's how they finally come because the two wings of an eagle, notice it's specific. Two witnesses, two wings. Amen. Olden, uh, listen to the law and the prophets. Are you with me? Amen. Moses and Elijah, two wings of prophetic ministry to do what? To bring them to their place. The place, the wilderness that had been abandoned. Amen. The the land that had been abandoned. Let me just tell you, denominations abandoned this Bible many years ago. Is anybody with me this morning? Amen. But God said the people of the book will return to the land of the book. I'll gather my people who have been scattered into dispersal and bring them back to their promised land. Hallelujah. Now, this is, this is why. Now, as they got on that plane, and Brother Brandon was so moved. And what moved him was what they said. He watched these men and women. Some were old, decrepit, crippled, blind, wounded. You can imagine Holocaust survivors. You can't imagine how broken and wounded and hurt that they were. And they get off. And so the question is asked them, You know, are you coming back to your homeland to die? Are you coming back here, you know, in in order to, you know, you're old and and you're weary. Are Are you coming now to be buried in your homeland? And they said, no, we're not coming here to die. We are coming here to see the Messiah. 
And I want to just say to you this morning, we have not come to this homeland to die in another denominational move. We have come back to this homeland because we will see the Messiah here. Here's where all the blessings flow is right here in this land. Now it's on that premises that I'm going to preach this message. And I'm preaching sometimes somewhat even more to what's sitting in this audience. But also that you might know where we are in this time. Now, because I feel somewhat like Esther. We're here for such a time as this. There's a time that you have to stand up and identify the Haman that is trying to put a noose around God's people and that is trying to bring harm. There's a time you have to stand up and and identify what our message is and how important it is to stay with that message. Because it's only in that homeland, if we leave this homeland, there is no rapture for us. Amen. Now, so again, again, as we look at this, we will come back to this land of the Bible and its promises. And this is more than just great mysteries that were lost to be enjoyed again. You know, to rediscover the ruins of past moves of God and where they went wrong. This is more than restoring some of the truths that they had. Amen. Oh, if I could just get it to you. This is more than just, you know, learning and embracing a new philosophy and a new a new message and a new a new doctrine or more doctrine or more truths is more than that. We are here to see the Messiah. Amen. Now I'm not gonna doubt for a moment there's good families in this land. There, I mean, this this Bible truth you've been brought to will make good families, good children. Good churches, good preachers, amen. There's healing in the land, but listen, church, we're at the time we want more than just something that will give us nice families and a nice church that we can call our own where we can preach, you know, what we believe is right here, but we want the Messiah. And I'm not even talking about we want the anointing, the the Holy Ghost to come down the meeting. Sure, we want that. But we want him to come back. We want to see the resurrection. And it all hinges on us. It hinges on us. A group that will not hinder those that are asleep. A group that are alive and remain faithful to the coming of the Lord. A people who are true. Now, you know, again, you know, I just want to lay some things out today because, again, what our goal is, is not to have as pretty a church as what they got out here with Pentecostal or Methodist and 
have us a comfortable and we can do as good as you can. We want the Messiah. We want the resurrection. Amen. Brother Jerome, I want to see your old daddy walk in here, a young man. Amen. Amen. I, 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 want, to see, I want to see the others, you know. I want, I want to see the dead in Christ rise. I want to be in that meeting in the air. That's what we are expecting. Don't never forget what our real expectations are. Yes, I re- I, we have expectations of people filled with the Holy Ghost and people um, uh, healed by the power of God. And we got expectations of raising good families and having good men and women in the church and having nice, nice places to worship. But we want to see the Messiah. We want Jesus to come back. And the Bible said that you should do everything to hasten that coming. Now, so now as we're looking at this, I want to just go down the line just for a moment and talk about our day and our times and, and, and the great climax age that we're in. This is a great age where there is a headstone that has returned to the church. Amen? This is a great time where the cap has come on. Let me just say, let me talk about you as an individual. As an individual, you can, are, are privileged people that you can experience the true baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not a portion like was on Luther, Wesley, and Azusa Street. But you can get the fullness of the Holy Ghost, the seal of God. Amen. A baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, and by that baptism, we can be mature, placed, and positioned, and adopted as sons of God, capped off by God himself. The headstone, amen, the baptism of the Holy Ghost unites the individual and God, the headstone, together. It happens through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. When you get the Holy Ghost, I mean, you're, not a, you're a mature, placed, positioned, adopted son. Amen. You have authority over the devil. You have power over sin. You have the, you have the privilege to write the check, ask anything in his name. I'm trying to, I'm trying to position you this morning. Where you realize you've been capped off. There's not another thing coming to complete you. When you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that's deity and you're filled with deity. And it empowers you young people to live an overcoming life. It empowers you old people to live an overcoming life. I'm really not referring to myself. I'm referring to those older than me. But nevertheless, the capstone has returned. You have the capstone. That's the ultimate experience to your body change. It's the ultimate of the supernatural experience that you can receive is the indwelling spirit of God. There's nothing beyond that. 
Amen. Listen, preachers are are telling them people, oh, you know, you got sin in your life and you can't live an overcoming life. And, and you know, well, what you need to do is grow a little more. And you need to, no, what you really need to do is be filled with the Holy Ghost. You need to die out to sin. You get died out to sin and filled with the Holy Ghost, it, it deals with the sin problem. The devil's sealed out and can't get to you anymore. How long are you sealed? To the day of redemption. What's the day of redemption? Your body's changed. You get it? You ain't losing it. Can I say it better than that? He ain't losing you. Amen. He said, you're go- he's not going to say you, you're going to make it. He says, you've already made it. Amen. The rapture's in you now. Quickening power's in you to change your body. The same thing that changed you and made you from a sinner to a son of God now dwells in you to make you a son of God, an overcomer, a victorious one. What a glorious thing that is. Now, also, so the capstone has come. The capstone is the same as the headstone that was placed there in the, in, the, in, the, in the foundation. And it's Jesus Christ. Are you with me? In the form of the Holy Ghost, uniting you and God as one. You're not separate from God anymore. You are the tabernacle of the living God's dwelling place. Amen. And what happened? It was a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Then that flooded down through the rest of the building, bringing your faith right, your temperance right, your patience right, your godliness right, bringing all of that under the control of the Holy Ghost, making you in the statue of Christ. How do you get in the image of Christ? By the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's your capstone. No, I'm not talking about Azusa Street's baptism. That was a portion. And don't get that wrong. Because Brother Branham did indeed call that the baptism. But he come down to realize as he come down the road, it, it was not the real. Come on, somebody. He told us they were not the wheat. They were the shuck. Amen. Now, we're not degrading them. We're just saying they were an advancement beyond the Lutheran Wesleyan. Amen. But... But the, the, we come back to seed again. Now, so now when we come down to the next part, now Brother Branham uses the pyramid again in another way. And he tells us, you know, here where we've come to. And he said, you know, the mysteries have been revealed. Like coming up a mountain or like a pyramid coming up. And then you know he, he, he was told um, he would receive something supernatural. A tool of some sort from, from the, that would come into his hand. Amen. To which he could open up the top of the mountain. And he was able to show things that light had never shown on before. Is somebody with me now? Amen. So he said that all the mysteries were capped with seven thunders. And I just want to tell you, church... We're not waiting on the thunders to be revealed. They were revealed by the seventh angel messenger and the capstone revelation, the amen of God 
came by Malachi 4. Amen. Who brought the church the final doctrine, the amen of God. There ain't nothing else after this. There's not another revelation for the bride after this. God, when God puts his amen on something, it's the final say. Ain't nothing more going to be said after this. Amen. And it's finished. And God finished this Laodicean age with an amen. And I want to tell you today, we can rejoice. Amen. We have received the capstone. Amen. That other ages waited on. Somebody help me preach. Say, well, Brother Tim, you know, that's a little confusing to me. Well, let me just kind of break it down for you a little bit. Remember, there was something reserved for the end time. Seven thunders, which was the voice of God, had been uttered, and John was going to tell us what it was, but he was forbidden to until, and because he said it wouldn't be made known until the days of the voice of the seventh angel, and then that would be given to the church. And Brother Branham tells us it's the capstone of the mysteries. Hallelujah. Now, there were mysteries restored Bit by bit. Amen. Let me just talk about them for a minute. There was adult baptism by immersion. You Mennonites taught that. That's why you came out. Was because you were rebaptizers. You Baptists. That's what you were. You were, you got the name Baptist by being a, a baptizer, a rebaptizer. Because the Catholic Church had changed baptism when you were born into the church. That's how you got the, that's how you become a Christian. You were born into the Catholic Church, so you are now a Christian. And so as a baby, they baptized you into the church. Amen. But here come some reformers along and said, that ain't right. And a move of the Spirit came, and, and there they moved out of, of the Roman church. Now, what was it? They were moving toward the homeland. They wasn't there yet, but they were moving toward it. Their minds were, let's get back to the Bible. Let's get back to the Word of God. Let's get back to truth. And truth to them was adult baptism, not infant When you come to knowledge of your sins and then you're baptized, then that's right. Now, then Luther come back, justification by faith and then sanctification by Wesley. Holiness by the Nazarenes and the pilgrim holiness. You know, that was their theme. Holiness unto the Lord. They were called holiness people. Because it preached against alcohol, tobacco, sin, immoral dress, immoral living. They preached against makeup, short dresses, cross-dressing. Amen. You, you think that's a message doctrine? No, that's a pilgrim holiness doctrine. Amen. That was a, that was a truth that was restored. Like we can't take credit for immersion. For immersion, no. I mean, the, the Baptists have been doing that for you know since the twelve hundreds. Are you with me? Hey, my brother Adam didn't come along and just suddenly introduce being immersed. That was the truth already restored. 
And Brother Branham, when he preaches holiness, he's preaching the holiness that the, the Baptists, the Methodists, the Presbyterian, the Pentecostal, all of them used to preach, but they departed from the truth. They didn't even hold on to what they had. Now, you want to get mad at Brother Branham for preaching that, people do. He just was preaching what all, their, all the others did. Luther, Wesley, Pentecost, come on, Azusa Street, all of them preached that. Now, you know, the Stankies know they, they were in the Pentecostal movement. And about in the, in the 1950s, they had this liberation of women thing that went forth where they were liberating all the women there where they could bob hair and paint face and do all of this. And so they were preaching a liberation gospel. That's why Brother Branham was screaming out against that in the movement at that time. You notice I don't preach near on holiness as Brother Branham did. You know why? Because I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to people, that's an established truth. But in that day, that truth was being diminished and taken away. Now, so again, again, restoration of gifts by Pentecostals. And then the prophet of Malachi 4, he said, would have no certain mystery, but rather he would tie all these loose ends, these bits and pieces of truth, immersion by the Baptists. Somebody help me now. Justification by the Lutherans. Sanctification by the Wesley. Holiness by the Pentecostal holiness. And the pilgrim holiness. Nazarene. And tie all of that into one message. You know that makes us the true Nazarenes. The true Methodists. The true Lutherans. Amen. Come on. They're our fathers. Amen. And we're, we're, we're going back to the land that they couldn't go to. Amen. They were stuck out there in their denominational system, but, but they were brethren in their ages. But now here we've been called out to go back to the land of the Bible, to the full word of God. What for? To see the Messiah. Now, so now as we're saying, you know, uh, again, God would take those loose ends and pieces and tie them together by the prophet of Malachi 4, who, like Elijah, gathered the forgotten and neglected stones to rebuild the altar. You know, he didn't get new revelations. He took neglected revelations or forgotten revelations. Some people want to get their nose all out of joint. Well, he, he obviously read Larkin, and he read this, and then he read that. Yes, he was gathering truths. Amen. That fit the Bible and leaving the rest of it out. Now, so, but then I, I want you to know, Elijah gathered the forgotten, neglected truths to rebuild the altar, but then God capped it off. Like the coming of the fire of God capped out the altar and the offering of Jehovah. Let me just say, without the capstone of fire in the days of Elijah, that altar was like any other altar. 
Amen. It was powerless and just a tribute to a powerless religion. Maybe that had emotions and jumping and shouting, but no God there. Somebody help me preach now. But the coming of the capstone of the pillar of fire on Elijah's altar made the difference between the altars of Baal and the altars of Jehovah. And it was built on restored truce. But what to prove it was the right altar and right sacrifice? It got kept off. And to prove this was the truth, seven angels come in a supernatural experience representing the whole New Testament of the seven angels, seven spirits of God to cap off and to show this is the headstone and it's God's approval that, this, that the stones have now been, the revelations, the mystery, the, these truths have now been put back in proper order Amen. And now the sacrifice is in proper order. And now the fire falls. The vindication comes that this is the last day. And this is the Elijah prophet to turn the hearts of the children back to the faith of the fathers. So the capstone has come. How many believe that? Amen. Now, a lot of people around the message don't because they're taking the capstone to be something beyond what Brother Branham said. But the capstone is not beyond the message to Laodicea. The capstone message is the message to Laodicea. Amen. Now, the same had to be done for bringing the the headstone to the mysteries and capping it off by giving back to the church what he kept from the other ages because he said, In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mysteries of God would be finished. Now, this finishing mystery was the putting on of the capstone of the mysteries. And let me tell you today, we we have by divine vindication, the word of God restored back to us. The land given back to us. The final mystery to the final age. Somebody with me now. And after this messenger, I don't care how good a preacher you are, how smart intellect, how anointed you are, you cannot take it beyond this message. It's the final voice to the final age. Amen. You can't go past this. The word cannot climb, and I'll read you the quote later. The word cannot climb above the Laodicean age. Now, all of this is wonderful. It's just marvelous. Brother Joe, it's marvelous that you have more than a Baptist experience. But you've been capped off with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that sealed you to your destination. That, that, that you're, you're sealed to the rapture. It's the capstone. Amen. And it's sealed into you all the virtues of God. You'll never lose it. It's there. 
Amen. It's like the rail car that Brother Branham said, when the seals put on it, he said he's guaranteeing that it'll make it to his destination without everything falling apart. And I tell you, when he puts a seal on you, your faith won't fall. Your virtue won't fall. Your patience won't fall. Your godliness won't call, fall. Is somebody with me? Your brotherly kindness will not fail. None of that will fail because you're sealed to the rapture. And I'm preaching to men and women today who are sealed to the rapture. What a glorious thing. So do we learn more? Yeah, we keep learning. Amen. Do we still grow in Christ? Sure, we keep growing. Do we continue maturing? Sure, we always mature. But we are adult sons in Christ. And that's why we do not have to hide behind a stump somewhere when a devil shows its face. Because we can wrap around our robe of adoption, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and say, Satan, you take your hands off of God's property. Hallelujah. Amen. For you're a black-born, black-born son or daughter of the living God with full authority. Ask anything in my name. Sign the check and I'll do it. You ain't waiting on something to come. If you got it, it's here. Amen. You just got to realize who you are and what he's done for you. Your position in Christ. Amen. Now, all of this is wonderful for the individual to be capped off with the Holy Ghost. And I challenge any preacher who wants to question me on that, go look at Brother Branham. Where did he place the Holy Ghost? He placed it at the top of the pyramid. Uniting God and you together. And then the Holy Spirit flowing down through those virtues. Showing the life of Christ. Amen. Just look at the graph. You ought to be able to at least accept it the way he said it. Now, but all of this is wonderful. It's wonderful for the individual to be capped off with the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm, I'm going to plow a little bit, but hold with me and don't go to sleep. Amen. I'll help you if you go to sleep. Okay, I'll help you. I won't sleep, but I'll wake you up. And I'm preaching sleeping virgins today. I, I want you to realize this is a very pivotal sermon I'm preaching. It's very important you create an atmosphere right now. So the Holy Spirit can really flow out. Amen. Because we're, we're not just speaking to this group, although you will be edified by it, but we're talking to people around the world. But all of this is wonderful for the individual to be kept up with the Holy Ghost, the person of Christ himself. But yet, this is still only the earnest of our inheritance. It's only the down payment. I'm not trying to minimize it. I've already tried to maximize it. But in, in this moment, I want you to understand, that isn't the goal. It's the goal if you hadn't got there. But if you got there, that ain't the goal. The goal is the Messiah. The return of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of the dead. As I get into this, 
We may not reach it this morning because I've got a lot to go. But we'll get into this. And actually, this bride will call the resurrection. I'm talking about a people whose ministry so matches the capstone to him and the capstone come together. I'm talking about a bride on earth that will be united with the capstone coming from heaven. But all of this is wonderful for the mysteries to be capped off with the voice of God sounding forth. What was only a silent mystery voice in ages past. That's wonderful. But that too is more the down payment. To have the mysteries revealed to us and the doctrines restored. It's only part of our goal. It's not the ultimate goal. We want more than be filled with the Holy Ghost and have all the mysteries right and be capped off. Have all the truths of the Word and the Holy Spirit flowing through those truths. We want more than that. We want the Messiah. Brother Kirkman, I want to see your little wife young again. Girls, I want to see your mama, young lady again. It's our promise. And I'm not satisfied as a minister until it happens. I hope you're, un- you're catching my vision. I want to see the Messiah. Everything else is smoke and air castles and pipe dreams. Unless Jesus comes. Unless our bodies are changed. Hold my thought now just a moment. It's wonderful for the mysteries to be kept off with the voice of God sounding forth what was only a silent mystery voice in ages past. But we want the Messiah, the promise of the ages, that Messiah who will bring with him the dead in Christ. We have come, here's where we come as a, as a church. Now we're coming up the pyramid now, watch. And now listen, Brother Brandon said, I don't preach a pyramid doctrine. I'm only using it for an example. That's all it is. It's an illustration. It starts out at its base real wide and comes up to its finish and then gets capped off. And he says, that's exactly the way it is. You start off as a Christian with faith and, you, and, you, and, and, and there as you work through the process of sanctification and repentance, you're capped off with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you and God becomes one, a sealed unit to the rapture. And with the mysteries, he started off, you know, down, down here and, he, and, and, and with, 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 the, with, the, with the restored truths coming back until he finally comes to the top and he caps it off with seven thunders. Now then, he starts with the church. Now, here's our third illustration. and Don't let yourself go to sleep. He starts with the third illustration and the third illustration 
is the church and the church ages. And it starts with the Ephesus age. And we come from the Ephesus to Smyrna, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, until we come to the last age of Laodicea. And after that, there are no more ages. The building is now complete. And I'm just going to say that even this morning. That building is now complete. Except for a few stones to be found and placed in the building. And I'm not talking about mystery stones. I'm talking about mystery people. I'm talking about few more to be saved. Amen. And come to the place God ordained for them to be in Christ for this time and bring them to that place. And when the last one comes in, the capstone comes. Who is the capstone? It's Jesus. It's the corporal physical coming of Jesus Christ. And until that happens, the ages are not finished. It is finished by the capstone. And that capstone is the return of Jesus Christ. And if we don't have him return to the ages, the ages can never be finished until Jesus comes back. And that completes the building of God and unites us with the bridegroom forever. Capstone came for the individual. Capstone has come for the mystery. But the capstone has not come for the church ages. It is after this Laodicean age. There in this this Laodicean age is a ministry that so matches the capstone. That it pulls Jesus from the heaven to be united with this living people. And they're taken in a rapture. And it'll be one of the most glorious baptisms of the Holy Ghost that has sweeped through that whole church all the way back to Ephesus and raised the dead in Christ for 2,000 years. And together, we will be gathered to meet the Lord in the air. And church, I got the capstone, the Holy Ghost. I got the capstone of the mystery, but I want that capstone of the physical corporal return of Jesus Christ to cap the ages and resurrect the dead. And it hadn't happened yet. We may be close, and we are. We're nearer than any other age. But we're still longing for that glorious day when Jesus shall come back. And I just want to say, minister, brothers, it's wrong to take the expectation away from the people of that physical corporal return of Jesus Christ. I don't care how you spiritualize it. If it don't materialize in the physical return of Jesus, it's all pipe dreams and air castles. It all hinges on his return. This is called the Mount Zion showdown. Where Jesus, not a doctrine, not the spirit, where Jesus will be the showdown. 
between us and the denominations. And that's when he shows up. We will be transfigured before them and we will be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye like Jesus was on Mount Transfiguration. We have come to the Mount of Change. (laughs) Hallelujah. Now, we've come from Ephesus to Smyrna to Zytara to Sardis to Philadelphia. Until we come to the last age of Laodicea. And after that, there are no more ages. The building is now complete as far as a bride. But it's not complete until Jesus comes. The head. You know, people say, we we are in the headstone. Well, what are we talking about? Do we have the Holy Ghost? Yeah, that's a headstone. Do we have the mystery? Yeah, that's a headstone. Do we have... The physical return of Christ? No, we don't have the headstone. We're still waiting to be capped off in the ages. I'm laying things down real plain. Now, the building is not complete, as I said, except for the last few living stones to be placed in the building. In other words, come to their adoption, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when the last one comes in, the capstone will come. Now, who is that great capstone? It's the Messiah. And that's not a new doctrine. And, you know, it it is not a new doctrine. It is the corporal coming of Jesus Christ who brings with him the dead in Christ. And that capstone has not been united with the church But we'll be united there just before he comes. There will be a ministry. Well, I say it this way. There is a ministry that will match the one that's coming. Hallelujah. And it is that Laodicean age that receives the capstone. There's not a bright age over here that's a capstone. No, Jesus is the capstone of the ages. There's not another age to cap us off. Not another mystery. Not another day out here somewhere. Jesus. Jesus. The capstone of the Holy Ghost for you, the individual. The capstone of the mysteries. And the capstone of the ages. The caps off all the ages. Jesus Christ. In his corporal coming. Now restoration. Includes more. Than restoring doctrine. It is restoring sons of God. Back to their original position of sonship. The land without its people. Is just a barren land. The Bible without its people. Is just another book. Come on. It only can work when it works through its people. The land can only live and prosper and bloom when it, when it has its people. The Bible can never be manifested without its people. And we can, you know, we can go through the land, find an ancient landmarks of Shiloh. Here's where God moved in days past. Spoke to Samuel. Here's the brook where David chose five smooth, smooth stone. Here's the mount where, where Elijah called down fire. 
But without people coming back to the land and taking possession of those ancient places, amen, the land still belongs to somebody else. And everybody's claiming the land. The Baptists claim the land. The Methodists claim the land. The Catholic claims the land is theirs. Come on, somebody. All of them say, we had it before you. Look, the Catholic Church was formed at such and such a time. And we, we are here, and, and we, with the Baptists, we're older than you Pentecostals. We got a better claim on the land than you do. So you got all kinds of ancient people who have been in the, who have claimed the land for years and tried to possess it. But I want you to understand, it's the land of the book for the people of the book. Hallelujah. Amen. And we can trace our coming into this land way before Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, anything. Oh, hallelujah. Are you with me now, church? Amen. I want you to understand when the book was found there in Israel, the scrolls, it proved they were the people of the book. They were here before Palestinians. They were here before Arabs. They were here before the Armenian Christians. They were here before the Catholic Christians. They were here before anybody. And I'm telling you, this is our land. And it belonged to my forefathers. And I'm coming back to it. And no more she Diane, I'm not giving back nothing. I ain't pulling down my flag off of one promise. Let the flag be waved high. Amen from this church this morning saying we have claimed this land and we're not giving up an inch of it. Hallelujah. We will have the capstone revelation for the person, the individual, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We will have the capstone of the mystery and every mystery truth that has been revealed. And we will also have the coming of the Messiah. Jesus is coming back for somebody. In the last part of Laodicea, we received the last angel messenger. The seventh angel which advances the church from Azusa Street movement to being the bride she was at original Pentecost. It advances the wheat crop from the shuck, Azusa Pentecost, to the grain, the true Pentecost. The original seed with the original life. As Brother Branham would say, and in this last day, There is another people in the land who under their messenger will be the final voice to the final age. How many believes we're in the final age? Amen. The people of the book then have returned to the book. They are in the land. Let me just go back over it and, 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 and bring these things again. The capstone has come for the individual who has received the token. Amen. It is a capstone or a stone. It's the ultimate experience that a person can receive until your bodies are changed and the dead in Christ raised. When we're physically changed from mortal to immortality. And by God capping off the individual, it shows the complete sonship with God's approval upon him. 
robed with power, with authority, with power to cast out devils, to defeat any enemy that's squatting on a promise in this land. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about the true baptism, not just anointing, but that which is on the soul, the token, the literal life of Christ. That, is, that baptism of the Holy Ghost gives us check, sign, and authority to ask anything in his name. That's who you are. No weapon, can I say it to you? No weapon then formed against you can prosper. Amen. Once you're here, there's nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are sealed to the day of your redemption. Oh, hallelujah. Now, what was that for? To bring forth the age of the mature church, of adopted sons, of the elect lady, to restore her to what she was on the day of Pentecost. And this happens by the Laodicean messenger in the seventh age. The next age is the eternal age, and that only dawns for us when our bodies are changed. Amen. Amen. Right now, we are in time, not eternity. Well, my soul's in eternity, yeah. But that's not, that's not even unique to our age. Every believer down to the age, you know, they come from God, they're going back to God, and they realize they were eternal at the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They realize their eternal qualities of God's elect. Right? You realize you were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, that you're not of this time, you're of eternity. You came from time to eternity, going and here in time, going back to eternity. But right now, you're in time. All right? So, you know, we're, we are, there, there are those, Brother Tim, but we're already in the eternal age. Nope. You cannot be in the eternal age until you have an eternal immortal body to go with it. Until then, you're in the age of time and don't pretend you're already in eternity. It's only pretending the bride leaves the church ages and leaves time when our bodies are changed. And until that, we are time beings and we, oh, you said, but we're eternal. Yes, we were always eternal. You know, let me just say it this way. I got a three-year-old boy, a grandson. His name is Jackson. They've been on a little vacation. And Jackson has been, they've been going to battlefields. They went to Washington, D.C. and Gettysburg. I don't know where all they went. Maybe they didn't go to Gettysburg. But they went to battlefields and different things. And they went to Manassas. Yeah, thank you. They went to those places and listened to all the things. And little Jackson's three years old. And he's looking up at Oh, and listening to all of this. And he looks over at his mom as they're talking about Stonewall Jackson and said, Mom, did I really do all of that? <laughs> and he looks up at the statue. He looks up at a statue of Stonewall Jackson and he sees that hat and he said, I really like my hat I was wearing there. <laughs> you see, with a three-year-old mentality... He thinks he was Stonewall Jackson because his name is Jackson. 
And I'm just telling you, if you're going to tell me you're already in the eternal age, you got a three-year-old mentality, you are imagining things that ain't real. I know it just made a bunch of people mad, but go ahead and get mad. Because you need to come for a reality check. You ain't standing on Stonewall Jackson. Until now, until then, don't pretend that you're already in eternity. It's only pretending. The bride leaves the church age when our bodies are changed. Not me, Brother Tim. Glory to God. I'm already in heavenly places. Well, that doesn't mean you're in heaven or in eternity. You're not raptured and you're not immortal. It simply means you're positioned in Christ with power and authority and potentially every devil is under your feet as you take possession of every promise. That's what it means. It means I'm there because Christ is there. And because a man is there, I am there. When a man took the book, I took the book. You took the book. Men took the book. Man got it. When, I, when we sent George Winters to Japan, to Japan, Evening Light Tabernacle went to Japan. This church went to Japan. Who did it? George did. Who, who, who sent him? We did. We are in Japan working with some new believers. I had never been there. But we're there. Why? We got a representative there. Somebody from here took the gospel there. Is somebody with me? And the reason why we're in heavenly places is because we have a representative there. A man is in heavenly places making a way for all of us to come there. And it's our position in Christ. Now, yes, I do know that Brother Branham told us that the church is screaming for a Messiah and said, we've already got him. It's the word. I understand the word is our Messiah. But the word is more than a doctrine. That's what I'm trying to get to you. To have the doctrine doesn't, doesn't mean that he's come. Oh yeah, he come in the form of the word. He come in the form of the doctrine. He revealed himself as son of man, but he has not come. Now, yeah, we have the Holy Ghost, the capstone, and that makes us messiahs. Yes, we have the Word, which is the Messiah, the headstone that completes the mysteries of God, but we must have the Messiah, the headstone, the corporal coming, and that caps off the church ages and takes the bride into the rapture. And you can't have Mount Zion showdown without it. Because that's when we're transfigured or changed from mortal to immortality. Now, I'm going to read you a quote. Now, this word is going to get sticky. So, tighten up your belt. The, the, the air will get rough for a little bit. We'll go through some real, real turmoil right here. And I'm going to say some things with the most brotherly kindness and love that I can say for the body of Christ. And if I say it wrong or arrogantly, God forgive me. But I want to say it as humbly as I know how. 
But I'm going to read you a quotation. Brother Branham said, In the visible union of the bride, some of you that really believe this to be the truth, that we're entering another age, we're entering the raptured age. You know the church can't go in its condition and it can't get any better. It must get worse. How many knows that? Say amen. It's got to get worse and it can't go like this. It's got to be something and it's moving right now, friend. It's, it's, it's the own. The move is on for the bride. That's the truth. That's thus saith the Lord. How many believes that? I believe it. But what have some men done with this quote and others like it? I, you know, and again, I, I'm sorry if I offend some by calling names or getting personal here, but I'm going to try and show as much brotherly kindness as I, as I know how to give. And God forgive me and make up for my lack. But you bear with me as a church for a moment. For me to just get very, very personal. But I'd like to read... From 1 Timothy 1.18. And I'd like to read what the Apostle Paul preached. How are we on time? Oh, we got plenty of time. Especially for those who believe we're already in eternity. <laughs> 1 Timothy 1.18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy according to the prophecies which went on before thee, that, by, that thou by them, this charge, by this charge, you might war a good warfare. This is a spiritual battle we're in. You know what it is? It's Satan trying to call us back to babbling and confusion in this message when we would have been called out. Amen. Because we had one voice, but now we have thousands of voices, each one screaming. That they are the way. But he said, hold in faith and a good conscience, and a put in a, and which some haven't put away faith. Uh, you know, uh, some have put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. He said, some have actually wrecked. Of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, whatever they were preaching, Paul called it blasphemy, and he called it shipwreck. Amen. He saw loss of lives that was taken, casualties that was happening in churches because of things that was being preached. It's very important that we rightly divide the word of truth. Because we can take the blessed holy word of God and cause some to commit shipwreck. And Paul called it blasphemy. Now, I delivered them to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Brother, now Paul wasn't afraid to call some names here. Now, I'm not Apostle Paul and I ain't even in a position of a messenger to do it. But let's just go along. Let's just look at another scripture. 2 Timothy 2.16. But shun profane and vain babblings. You know, shun this nonsense. For they will increase into more ungodliness. 
It won't produce the desired result. What what do we want? We want Jesus to come. Amen. And their word shall eat at doth a canker of whom is Hymenius and Alexander. So now he's done picked up another buddy here. Are you with me? And their words were eating on the church like gangrene. It was spreading through the church. And it was causing parts of the body to die. Now I want you to see what they were preaching. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. So some people were, their faith was being overthrown because they were saying the resurrection was already past. Now, how many believe that there was to be a resurrection? Resurrection was true doctrine, wasn't it? But to say it was past was blasphemy. It was canker. It was gangrene. To take something that was still future and place it as already happened or happening was blasphemy and worthy of Paul turning them over to the devil. Because they were overthrowing the faith. That means when you mislocate the scripture. Amen. And you go to begin to teach it. I'm talking about how serious this is. Now, Brother Branham told us in Christ revealed in his own word, he, he says, there are three must in the scriptures. And using God's word, three things you must not do. He said, let's study it that for the next 10 minutes, these things, things that you must not do. All, all out in the land, wherever you are across the nation, be sure to put these down in your mind. If you had not got a pencil, you must not do these things. We tell you all the time what you, how you must do. Now I'm going to tell you what you must not do. Now you must not misinterpret the word. You say, well, I believe it means that. It means just what it says. It needs no interpreter. And you must not misplace the word. And you must not dislocate the word. And if we would do any of these three of these, it throws the whole Bible in confusion and in chaos. So we got a charge from the prophet of God. Three must. You must not mislocate or dislocate the word or misplace the word or misinterpret the word. It means just what it says. In other words, we haven't got any business reading into what the prophet meant. Amen. If he he meant to say the seven church ages are over, then he would say that. But when he said, when he's asked the question, is the seven church age over? Uh, with the, we heard you say the seven churches are over. Did we, did, did we uh, misunderstand? He said, no. He said, you misunderstood it or I said it wrong one. The seven church ages are not over. Then why in the world are people going there? Exactly right. Because of itching ears. Because people pull ministries out of their God-given place to bring something new. The thing is something that will excite them. I can't think of anything more exciting than Jesus coming back. Now, he said it throws the whole Bible in confusion. Now, I'm going to just make a statement here. 
Listen, if we can build 40,000 different denominations out of 66 books of the Bible, how many little denominational cults can be made with 1,100 books and tapes? I need to say that again. Let me repeat myself in case you thought I stumbled over what I said. If we can build, as Christians, build 40,000 different denominations out of 66 books of the Bible, how many little denominational cults can be made with 1,100 books and tapes? Taking this quote and jamming it with that quote and coming out with this idea and that idea and saying the prophet said it. When he's told us, I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ, don't you add to what I said. Amen. Now, let me just tell you. I'm going to tell you what they've done today. They have taken six quotes on the bright age. And one's like this one, saying we've entered another age. We're entering the rapture age. The move is on for the bride. That's thus saith the Lord. They have taken six quotes of them. People say, Brother Tim, you're out of balance. Well, let me just tell you, there's hundreds of quotes that tells us we're living in the Laodicean age. Six quotes that says we're in the bride age. Unless you're my three-year-old grandson, you can't understand that the bride age is the bride of the last church age because there ain't nothing else coming after that. Now, so again, what have men done with this? They moved the bride past, now here's the danger. They moved the bride past the seventh age into another age. Going beyond the message and the messenger. Even though the messenger warned us, and he said, as Moses said, how the, now the words I've spoken to you, I call heaven and earth to witness against you. If you add one thing to it or take one word from it, you'll not stay in the land where the Lord God gives you. So say I in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't you add one thing. Don't you, don't take, put your own ideas to it. You say just what is said on those tapes. You just do exactly what the Lord God commanded to do. Don't add to it. Do you know we got men preaching in the pulpit today that gives herself a license to add to what God's what this message is and take it beyond this messenger and, and, and got something beyond gonna go beyond the message. We got a right to do it. And we were charged not to do it. We were charged to stay with what he said. Not bring an addition to what he said. Are you still with me? Amen. But instead, now here's where, here's where I got to use a lot of brotherly kindness. Instead, there's a self-appointed apostle from New York. Using all the brotherly kindness I know how to say. Our precious brother Joe Coleman. He led the people out. Promised him a new age advanced beyond the seventh messenger and the Laodicean age. Then people sang and they shouted with their theme song. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are going one realm higher. And with enthusiasm, he led them past the seventh age. Isn't 
God true, Brother Rissler? He did it. Brother Rissler knows. He was, he was in that concentration camp for a long time. Amen. He knows the wounded and the hurt and the offended and the bruised. Amen. Even as Hitler crowded them on, on his trains and took them to a death camp, so, so this, the, the same thing happened where their, where their preachers went to jail for Ponzi schemes, for stealing poor people's money. Because of uncontrollable greed while promising liberty, he took them into worse bondage than what they were under in denominations, dividing churches, destroying homes, ruining lives. And it didn't take long until he became the apostle. And by the way, the apostles first, prophets secondarily. So it wasn't long he's greater than the prophet. And, you know, and, and not only that, because Brother Brandon was a Kentucky hillbilly, he needed help to say what he had to say. So he was sent as the apostle to set in order what Brother Branham said and bring clarity to his message. It wasn't long till it wasn't good enough to be an apostle greater than Brother Branham. He became the voice of the archangel. Of Revelation 2. And finally, that wasn't good enough. He became Michael himself. The personification of Michael the archangel in person. I'm talking about what people do with the quotes. You know, after he died, his kingdom divides like Alexander's into different, you know, different sections and pardon. You know, you got one of his little wannabes over here in South Africa now claims to be Elohim. Well, I mean, Brother Coleman was Michael. He's got to be greater than him. He's taking it further, climbing another realm higher. So he's Elohim. Another guy over in England said, no, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're the Holy Ghost. So, you know, again, again, you know what it is. It's a personality cult that winds up deifying the personality and taking away worship that belongs only to Jesus Christ. It's the same thing Lucifer did in the beginning. Amen. That Paul warned ministers, he said, let you be lifted up with pride. You fall in the same temptation as did Lucifer. Ministers have to rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. I know, I know. I was there. You know, I went to Germany here some time ago, and one, and there in that meeting, there one of his little Hitler screamed at me in that meeting there. You know, and screamed out, "The seventh under train is coming through, and you better get on it." Ha ha! I'm not getting on that train. I know where it goes. I know the wrecks. I know the train wrecks. I know the wrecked homes. I, I know the wrecked churches. I know the division. I know the sex sins. I know the Ponzi schemes. I'm not being mean. I'm being as sincere as I can. Listen, listen, I can smell the smoke of burning flesh and the stinking, the stench of burning hair. And I ain't getting on that train to get wherever you're taking me. I am not leaving this message to go with you anywhere. Call it whatever age you want to. I am not leaving the seventh age and the seventh message and the seventh messenger.
with you anywhere. You know what I preached in Germany? It was, had a, it was, a, it was on the platform of a Seventh Thunder Convention. And I preached there, given an account. I couldn't stand as a gentleman and preach against their doctrine. But I could tell them, you're going to give an account for this. All these lies and misconceptions and unbelief. You're going to stand before God one day and give an account. Can I say, with as much brotherly kindness as possible, as I possibly can, with humility. Oh God, consider myself lest I also be tempted. Our precious brother Lee Vale did this similar with it. Promising a new age by intellectualism, he became the great teacher needed to bring clarity to the messenger to help him say what he couldn't. Because Sister Branham had told Brother Vale, Brother Branham said, as Aaron was given to Moses, so was it, so you could write the church age book, given as Aaron to help him write the church age book. Because Brother Branham was little Kentucky, seventh grade, he couldn't write a book like that. He needed some help. But he took that and ran with it. And next thing you know, he's correcting Brother Branham on the Godhead. You know, this teacher led them out into intellectual confusion to the point that he could strip Jesus of his deity, saying Jesus was just a man and not even God. And this gave rise to other wannabes like him who are Hitlers in their own rights. And you've got, you got those former Perusia camps all over from, from Texas all the way to Canada. Where people are held in bondage tighter than they would if they'd have been a Catholic. Can't fellowship with anybody else. Amen. Divide family, divide houses. That's what people have done with this. And when you're going to tell me, oh, we went beyond the seventh age into another age. Hey, I've already seen that train. I've already been to Auschwitz where it happens. You know what the next step was? To minimize Jesus Christ in order to maximize themselves. In doing this in their new bride age. They remove Christ from being the mercy seat. And remove him from the mercy seat. And now their movement becomes the seed of mercy. Where they preach, they can grant mercy or withhold mercy. Sister Diane's crying. She knows. She was in a concentration camp. She's still got scars on her heart today. Sister Linda. Sister Jeannie, many of you. Let me read a couple of scriptures. I want to talk about this for a minute. Because when you get out here in this Friday's making it something different from what the prophet brought, and something different in another age, another time, now you get out here, 
you got apostles, teachers, you got, you got these other leaders leading you out, and you got all of these things. Now, church, now you've seen my heart. You see, I don't just deal with your problems. I have to deal with problems all over the world. I get calls from ministers around the world. Brother Tim, what do we do? The confusion, the division, the hurts. And that's why you hear me say, if God didn't say, I'll have a bride without spot or wrinkle, I wouldn't have a hope. But because he said it, I know there's going to be one somehow. I don't know how he'll do it, but he'll do it. You say, Brother Tim, what's the use of you even preaching like this? You, You can't make a difference. There's too much confusion out there. And I just say, you're right. I go overseas a lot of times and I say, come back, and I'm so whipped. And I go to churches and places, and I come back so whipped. And I say, the further I go, the behinder I get. It's just more confusion and more questions and more. And I get so burdened by it. You don't know sometimes the frustrations. It goes to the heart of a pastor, of a man of God, what he's dealing with. Not just the problems in the own congregation, but places around the world. And I didn't ask for this position. 48 years of ministry has given me this place. I'm no more the boy preacher. I've got a responsibility. And you say, but you can't do nothing. Well, it's kind of like the the man going down the seashore. Been a big storm, washed a bunch of starfish up, and he was going down, picking that one up, and throwing it back in the ocean, picking up another, and throw it back in the ocean, and get another, and throw it back in the ocean. Another guy comes up and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm throwing these starfish back in. He said, you're crazy, man. There's millions. You realize how millions... How many millions are washed up on this beach? You can't make a difference. He reached down. He just got another one. Threw it back in there. He said, I made a difference in that one. I may not be able to make a difference everywhere and get them all, but maybe I can make a difference between one or two. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm just going to keep throwing starfish back in. And I'm throwing some starfish back over into the correct age. Out of these concentration camps that they're trying to build out here. There's somebody, there's a bride that ain't going to listen to that kind of stuff. That kind of nonsense. They're going to come back to the land of the Bible. But they get over here. There's no more mercy anymore. There. Yeah, and I know, I know that certainly there was a great thing happened in our age 
where the mercy seat changed on earth and to go into rapture, you're going you're gonna to have to be preaching this word. There's no doubt about it. It's the rapture message. Right? But let me just tell you about mediation for a minute. I want you to understand, Christ does not leave the mercy seat until he physically comes from glory. I'm going to tell you again, the capstone, the headstone has not come. And as long as the, the headstone has not come, he has seven stripes of blood for seven church ages. And you cannot have remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And if there's no bloody sacrifice there, there is no more mercy. Not even for you, big boy. You're damning your own self by your doctrine and your people and your children and your church. Lead them out into a concentration camp where you have a bloodless religion, which is Cain's religion. Now, 1 Timothy 2 and 5. For there is one God. I mean, can go that far with me. And one mediator. Oh, now, here we go. One mediator. Not you and you and you and you. Oh, can we pray for one another? Yes. Is that mediation? Yes. But there, that's not what he's talking about. There is one mediator between God and men, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. There is no church that's a mediator. There is no group of people that's a mediator. There is, come on, somebody. There is nobody else that is a mediator. There's no Mary. There's no Catholic church. There's no message church that is a mediator between God and man. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. Say, Brother Tim, why does this make you so upset? Because it takes the glory out of Jesus and puts it on fickle men. And it's blasphemy. And it does much harm. And it's gangrene in the church. And it's a gangrene in this message. There's one God between, and one mediator between God and men, that's the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a, a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Shall we go with me to Hebrews 9, verse 13? For at the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? There's no salvation without the blood. And when he ceases to be the mediator for the bride, for the church, there's not another Gentile saved, and the bride goes in a rapture. And until then, is mercy over? Mercy, no. Are you with me? Now, this takes away from Paul's gospel. 
and where he brought us to. Paul brought us to this place. Now, you're, these people are trying to lead you away from, from the land. This is the land of Paul. Somebody help me. This is Bible land. We want to go back to Bible doctrine. Bible land. We don't want to leave the land. Now listen what, what Paul brought us to. Will you, will, you, will you go with me just for a moment? I want you to just, just to see this. Let's, let's first go away and, and let's establish Paul's gospel is our gospel. Brother Branham stood there and they said, you preach what Paul preached. I'm going to get that real heavy in a minute, but hold on. He said, now, he said in Galatians 1 and 8, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than what we preach, have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than what ye, than what ye have received, let him be accursed. That's me. That's you, that's William Branham, that's John Wesley, that's anybody else that preaches another gospel that Paul didn't preach. Is that right? Amen. So now Paul said where we had come, what had been given to the church. I want to lay this out, Hebrews 12 and verse 22. But you are come. Here's where you have come to. You have not come to Mount Sinai like Israel did, but you have come. And this is where the gospel has brought you. You have come to Mount Zion. Now that's the bride, ain't it? Unto the city of the living God. Amen. The heavenly Jerusalem. And to an innumerable company of angels, I could preach on every one of these, and I have, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, to God the just, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And you have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And when any gospel comes around and takes you away from Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. The one mediator between God and man. It's another gospel and it's a lie. You come to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than, offer, than, than Abel. And he said, you better not refuse this one that's speaking. The blood that speaks. What does it mean to say that Christ is no longer interceding and his blood no longer atones. What does that mean? What does it mean to say he's not on the seat of mercy? First, it minimizes the relationship between us and our Savior and places Christ, our Lord, in some shadowy past instead of a present relationship. He's no longer the present mediator. He's removed from there into the shadowy past. It takes away, or at least minimizes, the promise of a glorious and wonderful future when Jesus comes and we're forever with the Lord. Just as, just as the two Lord doctrine takes away from the deity of Jesus and leaves him only human, stripping Jesus of his divine quality and nature, even so teaching that Christ has left the seat of mercy seat, without having come first in a physical corporal coming, places our wonderful Lord Jesus as an unneeded item that was only important in ages past and strips him from any meaningful position for believers 
today. That's what happens. Why so? Because without Christ as the seed of mercy, through whom we have an approach to God, then he's unnecessary and unneeded anymore. Since we can do without a bloody sacrificial lamb who is our offering for sin, then his advocacy is unneeded. Why why even pray to a God who no longer has the power of intercession? You see, this makes obsolete even the Lord's prayer of asking forgiveness of sins because he's no longer our advocate. Are we then any different from the denominational world who, who finds it unpleasant? The songs of worship about the blood, doesn't it make it somewhat obsolete to now earnestly sing, draw me nearer, 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 precious Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Have we become a Cain who now is offering worship without blood? How can we become a Cain who seeks a bloodless religion, who rejects the blood? Does it somehow make it easier for us to accept a bleeding word in a way that distances us from the unpleasant truth that the word, in order for it to bleed for us, had to become flesh? Why do we find repulsive a lamb that bleeds? With the bride, now I'm getting into some areas here. With the bride becoming the intercessor and the only seed of mercy, then she becomes the woman, like the Catholic Church, the mediatrix and the savior of the body. Once again, the man Christ Jesus is unneeded and we can easily do away with him because the bride replaces him in the role of intercession and mediator. The woman can easily then become very ruthless. One who can remit sins or retain sins as she wills. The power of the mediator when given to fickle men gives pastors a right by any of their silly whim or notion to put names on or remove them from the book of life. To dare disagree with them then, you're lost. Do we really want to hand this power over to men? Of course, we know about our role of praying and intercession for the needs of believers. We also know about remitting sins to helping a soul to repentance and finding true forgiveness. But when unbalanced and overemphasized that the bride is the only approach to God and the only place where forgiveness of sins can be found, just a small step is all it takes for the woman to say, you disagree with me? If you ain't saying what I'm saying, if you ain't believing what I'm preaching, then your name ain't on the book of life. Neither does it take long for the bride meaning to become exclusive to only a certain group. You know, that really is nothing but a personality cult. And that that for a person to even receive eternal life must somehow be connected 
through the relationship as a friend or relative or by doing something good to a cult member in order to be saved. Another small step, and it empowers egotistical men who controls their people by fear and who binds the people to himself and not to Christ. Now, with all the brotherly kindness in my heart, and I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but our precious brother Joseph Branham has formed his own personality cult. He's gathered a bunch of people who wouldn't have a pastor, who wouldn't support a local church, who have been unchurched for years, and has led those people out to a land to where no preachers are allowed to preach. And he becomes a voice of authority, and they his own personal bride. And I'll tell you, it's no different from a Coleman or a Spruill or a Vale or any other of these other names. It's another personality cult. Lead them out into the land where the Holy Ghost can't call a man to preach and him preach under the anointed word of God. Let me just tell you, every church is sovereign. I, I have no problem with a sovereign church. Play the tapes. That's what you feel led to do. Play them. I mean, if that's what the pastor wants, wants to do, play the tapes. I have no argument with you. Do as you wish. God bless you. But don't send out mandates and official orders from your denominational headquarters demanding that other sovereign assemblies do to do as you do. And don't tell us that the ministry is now over because Brother Branham has fulfilled it all. That denies the Bible. That denies Paul's gospel. Amen. Who told us, Paul told us, preach the word. Furthermore, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach. I've got a mandate greater than Jeffersonville. And besides that, Brother Branham told us to go preach. Amen. But this other Brother Branham is telling us not to preach, but push play. Well, I think you should push play. I think every believer ought to listen to the tapes. I'm not against that. I'm not even against playing the tape in a church. Amen. I'm, I'm that. But when you call preaching, anointed preaching, rechewed food, that's blasphemy against the working of the Holy Ghost. That's blasphemy. Against the workings of the Spirit of God who call a man and anoint him to preach. And to say those days are over is not Paul's gospel. You have led us into another age that Brother Branham didn't lead us to. Amen. Where you're taking the people on that packed train. Oh yeah, we're all screaming and you got all these cheerleaders. Oh yeah, yeah, we're going to. We're in this new, new land over here. It's not the land of the Bible. It's somewhere past the seventh messenger. All right? Now bear with me. Yeah, I got another good little time. Amen. Amen. The quote, we're entering another age. We're entering the raptured age. The move is on for the bride. That's the set, the Lord. Where do true ministers go with this? Where do true ministers go with it? They empower the individual to know that they can be serpent bruisers. 
devil defeaters, adopted sons who are capped off with the Holy Ghost and are complete and mature in him. They empower the people to recognize the capstone revelation has come to the church and the mysteries are revealed. So the mysteries of the church is finished and that empowers them to recognize they are under their messenger or the final voice through the final age. That's what true ministers do. They empower the church by telling them the move is on for the bride has brought us into the final and the seventh age where there is a ministry that now matches the headstone that's coming, which is the physical and corporal coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. And without it, it's all pipe dreams anyway. We just might as well throw in the towel and go home. They empower them with the expectation of that blessed hope so that with readiness they're prepared for his soon return, the capstone of the ages. Brethren, that capstone has not come. And we don't leave this age till it does. Yet we've entered into another age. We've been, we left the Pentecostal age of Azusa Street which presided over the early beginnings of this seventh age. We've entered into a rapture age where the bride is going to rapture. This happens by the message given of the Laodicean messenger. The move from Azusa Street shuck portion of the wheat plant back to the original grain that was planted on the day of Pentecost has been achieved. Amen. There is no stage of life beyond the grain. There is no word above the message to Laodicea. The move from the shop to grain is on. That's thus saith the Lord. From here, it's the garner, the rapture. There's not another age to go to. Now, Brother Branham told us in the message paradox, I'm put out of that amongst the organization. Them brothers don't realize they're doing it. It's not me. I'm not put out. They're putting the word out. The Bible said in this Laodicean age that Christ was on the outside of the church knocking, trying to get back in. There never was an age like that on the outside because there's going to be no more church ages. This is the end of it. The Laodicea was the last age and the Pentecost is that Laodicean age. We know that and there would be no more above Pentecost. Oh, you say, see, Brother Tim, last age was Azusa Street. No! The last age is the original Pentecost. And there's nothing beyond the grain. There's nothing beyond Pentecost except the rapture. From here, we go to the rapture. Amen. Then he explains, like a man, another creature, no creature ever come up from its evolution coming to, into a higher species than a man because a man is in the image of God who created him. There will be nothing go higher. So he, he compares it to man. God in his creation started with the little forms, come up to the top, and the top of his creation was man. And he said, there's nothing higher in the animal world than a man. All right? And he says, there, and because he's in the image of God who created him. And there'll be nothing higher. The word wouldn't let it go any further because he's the word. And neither can the word climb above any Laodicean age. The word cannot 
go beyond this age. There's no message to follow this message. There's no mystery. There's no truth. The capstone has come. And when it's kept, ain't nothing else. Now let me tell the preachers of the message. Go ever, wherever you want to. Go out into no man's land if you want. Go past the seventh age and the seventh angel. But I'm not leaving this seventh age and its message and its messenger until there's a rapture. Only then am I leaving it. Because in this land, there is a resurrection. And I have not returned to this land of the Bible to die. I've returned to this Bible land to see the Messiah. Amen. And I'm not talking about the Holy Ghost. I have that. And I'm not talking about uh, the final doctrine as a capstone. The final mystery has been added to, to the age, to the capping off. But there is nothing coming beyond what we have received through the seventh angel. It's the amen of God. No more message. The message to the last age has come. And I'm not leaving on your train. You're not piling me on another train to another concentration camp. I've got to announce to you, the dispersal is over. I have returned to the book of Acts because it is is there where the book of Acts, the word is in action in that land. That's why we're in the book of Acts. Because in in that book of Acts, the word is in action. I have returned to what the church was at Pentecost where there is a fullness of the Holy Ghost where miracles, signs, and wonders follow the word. I have returned. I've returned to a land flowing with milk and honey. I've returned to the gospel that Paul preached. Amen. You say, well, me too, Brother Tim. We returned there a long time ago, but we went beyond that. Well, go ahead and go beyond. I ain't going with you. I'm staying in the land of the Bible with the same gospel Paul preached because he said if an angel came from heaven with another gospel besides what I preached, let him be accursed. And I know that's how to become under accursed. That's what every denomination has done. Somebody with me? But oh no, Brother Tim, I'm over here in this new age, a place beyond the seventh age, beyond the seventh angel, beyond his message to Laodicea. I'm beyond, I left that seventh age long behind. I'm over here in another age, you see. You see over here, the seals are open. And we have something here that Paul didn't have and that Paul didn't preach. Oh yeah? Really? I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I agree with you. You got something Paul didn't preach. You got something out there even Brother Branham didn't preach. Because he preached what Paul preached. Somebody help me preach. I don't doubt you have something that ain't in the land of the Bible. But I'm telling you it's a lie. It's a false utopia. And the, the promised son will never come there. He will only come back to the land of the Bible where the people of the Bible are in the word of the Bible. Well, but, uh, Brother Tim, I'm going to prove it to you. 
You know, I'll prove it to you. We got more than what old Paul had. You know, we got something else. We, you see, we, we got the open of the seven seals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got something now beyond Paul. It's something advanced beyond him. Okay. You know, the opening of the seals only restored the book. Come on, everybody. It restored the original land back to the people. Amen. It didn't open a new Bible. It opened the same Bible. Amen. Now, let me just say to you, the truth of serpent seed was not lost to Paul. The Godhead wasn't lost to Paul. And he didn't believe in two in the, in the Godhead either. You know, the truth of predestination wasn't lost to Paul. Water baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ wasn't lost to Paul. These truths were not lost to Paul. Now, Malachi 4 was to restore, not to bring us something new. It, it was not an addition to the Bible. It was what the Bible said. It was unsealing what had been sealed up by the Antichrist spirit that sealed away the truth from the people down to the ages. And it was restoring us back to Bible truth. Are you with me? Amen. So, so again, the truth of predestination wasn't lost to Paul. Water baptism by mercy in the name of Jesus Christ wasn't lost to Paul. These truths were not lost to Paul. Malachi 4 restored. It didn't bring something new. The book, can I say it to you? It wasn't sealed to Paul. He was in the land before the dispersal. Amen. And the prophet did not lead us to something Paul didn't have. Godhead wasn't a mystery to Paul. Serpent seed was not a mystery. They were to us, but not to Paul. He was in the land. Amen. The true new birth was not a mystery to Paul. He had it. He knew it was more than believing. It was an experience where he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He knew it was more than tongues because he, he knew that someone could speak with tongues of men and angels and have not the nature of God charity. That wasn't a mystery. The prophet of God didn't add truths to the Bible. He restored truths. Brother Branham added truths to this Bible. He's not any different than Joseph Smith. And that's the Mormons. In case you don't know who that is. He brought us back to the land that Paul lived in. He brought us back to the gospel that Paul preached. Amen. The seven thunders. Now listen to me. They only brought light to the truth that Paul preached. Didn't bring something new. It simply brought back to light what Paul preached. Let's go back to the scrolls now, down in the cave there for a moment. The, the breaking of those seals, when that, when that shepherd boy threw that stone, that revelation down into that cave, he brought out what was already, had been previously revealed, but light hadn't shown on. Light hadn't shown on it for 2,000 years, and that, that little shepherd boy brought those scrolls out into the light. 
And that's what Brother Branham did. It wasn't that he gave us a new Bible. He brought the words of Paul back to light again. So the opening of the seals, what it did was expose the Antichrist who went forth conquering and the conquer, who had taken the church out of the land, dispersed us into other lands, into denominations where we didn't belong. That's not our homeland. But we hear those who distort the word say, but Brother Tim, I'll tell you what now. See, let me explain it to you. It's been son of God down through the church ages. Now we're beyond the church ages and the dispensation of the Son of Man. You see, it's another day now. It's another age. You're mislocating the Scripture again, the Word. Yes, it's been the Son of God down to the ages. That simply means the Spirit was there in portions. But you see, it's in, but it's in the last age, the Son of Man. In the seventh age, He is a prophet. And, and the Son of Man reveals Himself through that seventh age messenger. So it's in the Laodicean age that the Son of Man comes and reveals Himself. He doesn't reveal Himself in another age. He reveals Himself in the seventh age. Amen. But the Son of Man is revealed in the Laodicean age as a prophet, the Elijah ministry of the seventh age. Now let's be scriptural about this. Let me just show you that it's the Son of Man in the church ages. You show me by your scripture it ain't. Let me show you by the scripture it is. Revelation 1.13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man. Who's standing in the midst? The Son of Man is standing where? In the church ages. The Son of Man in the, in the church ages, and what he's saying, I'm Alpha and Omega. Do you know what Brother Branham said that means? He said he never said anything in between. He said Alpha and Omega. Because what the first church was, the Son of Man stood there revealing it. The Son of Man is the Word revealing himself through a prophet Paul. It's the same Son of Man revealing himself through the seventh angel, Brother Branham, that we come back to what Paul preached. It is not another age that we went into. It's the seventh age and the seventh messenger where the Son of Man, the Word, is revealed. That's why Brother Branham calls it the Sada, uh, excuse me, he calls it the Laodicean sign. The, this, the, and he talked about the Son of Man is revealed in the Laodicean church age too many times. So it's not in a, it's not in a day beyond this age. It's in this age the full word comes back in the manifestation. So don't lead me out here into another day and say, well, it's over here. See, Son of God, to the it was Son of God, portions of the Spirit down through the ages until you come to the last age. And in the last age, it's the same as the first age. The Alpha is the Omega. And the word Paul preached is restored to the church again. So, well, Paul didn't know the seven seals. Well, he didn't need to know the seven seals. The mysteries there that was hidden were revealed to Paul. They weren't a mystery to him. The book wasn't sealed to Paul. The book got sealed through denominational ages and got covered over and taken out of light. But you see, it's the seventh age messenger that brings it back into the light again. Now, I don't know who your son of man is. 
But this son of man is the word. And it's the same word that was at Pentecost. It's the same gospel that Paul preached. Brother Branham said, voice of the sign. He said, and I might say this, the voice will speak one day. A sign will come and what we'll do? The Laodicean sign must be the same as it was then. There will be a voice speak to us in the last day. Remember, Laodicean sign. It shows we're in the last church age and there's not another messenger coming. This is the voice of the Son of Man through the voice of the seventh angel. And the bride under that messenger is the final voice to the final age. Now I know you're getting tired, but hang on. You can't be wore out than I am. Say, my bones. Well, your bones is, might be 18 years old. Mine are 63. Listen to this. The resurrection takes place in the Laodicean age. Thus saith the prophet. The living come from the Laodicean age. Thus saith the prophet. The mysteries are all revealed in the Laodicean age by the Laodicean messenger. Thus saith the prophet. So what have you got left out in this other age to do? Other than lead them around and around in confusion again. It's dispersal. It's another concentration camp. It's promising a utopia that'll never exist. Jesus ain't coming in that. He's only coming in the Bible land. Now, Brother Bradham told us. He said, the messenger of Malachi 4 will preach the message of Pentecost word by word. I'm going to tell you, there is nothing beyond what Paul preached. We have not gone beyond them. We have come back to what he preached. Because if we go beyond what he preached, we're accursed. Say, well, we got the seals, Brother Tim. Paul didn't have the seals. I done told you it wasn't sealed to Paul. He knew the mysteries of God. Amen. It was to us it got sealed and took away. Go where you want to. Go to any other land besides the Bible. But I'm not going there. I'm not taking this church there. Amen. I've returned to the land of Paul. I'm coming down now. The land of Peter. I've come to the land of Jesus. Yes, it's the land of David. It's the land of Elijah. It's the land of Jeremiah. It's the land of all the prophets. And I have not returned to this land to die. I have come back to this land to see the Messiah. I have come to see him, the literal Lord Jesus in a corporal body. Amen. And for the dead in Christ to rise. And us to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. From this age. From this message, from this messenger, I'm going there. I'm not going anywhere else. I have returned to the land. It's the land of Paul. It's the land of Jesus. It's the land of the resurrection. It's the land where the dead in Christ comes. It's the land where the corporal coming comes. It's the land where my body change comes. And I'm not leaving the land. The capstone has come. We got a baptism of the Holy Ghost. A supernatural outpouring of the Holy Ghost that filled you and sealed you to the day of redemption. 
If you got the Holy Ghost, you experienced that. We had a baptism of the Holy Spirit, the pillar of fire come down in seven angels and kept off the mysteries of God. Amen. Which, in, which revealed the mysteries of the entire Bible. Remember, Paul had them, but we lost them. It brought us back to Paul's gospel. When he went beyond the curtain of time, they told him, you preached only what Paul preached. And that was when he went beyond the curtain after his death. Amen. He didn't preach even after that experience in 58, anything that, or 59, 60, that Paul didn't preach. When he entered that realm, it was 1965 on December the 24th. And they said, you preach exactly what Paul preached. Now, let me go back over it one more time. You got a baptism of the Holy Ghost that sealed you into the kingdom, sealed those virtues in you to the day of your redemption, adopted you and placed you in the body by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God kept you off. God kept off the mysteries with the supernatural baptism of the Holy Ghost. Seven angels come, the pillar of fire, and the voice of God speaks out and reveals the mysteries that was lost from the days of Paul. It brought the scroll back into light again. But there's one more baptism coming. One more baptism coming. Sister Janie, there's one more baptism coming. I want to tell you about that baptism. It ain't come yet. Baptism of the Holy Ghost. Baptism of the fire of God with the angelic visitation. Mysteries being revealed, capping off all the mysteries. But there's one more baptism. Are you interested enough for me to read it? Brother Branham said in three kinds of believers. That's the reason I believe that when this bride is called out and elected and set in the book of life, there will come a sound from heaven that will take such a baptism of the Holy Ghost into that bride that will take her from the earth in a rapture and grace. God promised it. Don't care how many signs, how many astronauts they signed up and everything else. How many million miles they can see. I don't care nothing about there. There is a heaven and there is a literal Jesus Christ there that will come in a body form to receive the church to himself. No matter how old the story seems, it's still the truth. God said so. That's what believers believe. Do we have some believers this morning? Everybody that believes there will come a baptism of the Holy Ghost that will raise the dead from the seven angels and take a bride in a rapture. I say glory to God. Hallelujah. What a promise. What a promise. There is a capstone coming by the angels. And all the angels will resurrect. Let the musicians come. Let me read one more quote and I'm through. The dynamics of this church will be a refilling of the Holy Spirit that we have worked in a small measure 
while the headstone is coming down to unite with the body. But when that head and body unites together, the full power of the Holy Ghost would raise her up just exactly like that. Even the dead that's dead in Christ for hundreds of years ago will rise in the beauty of his holiness and take a flight through the sky. The dynamics is the Holy Ghost. It was the dynamics that came to you when you got the Holy Ghost. It was the dynamics that brought the mysteries and capped off the church. But there is another moving of the Spirit. Hallelujah, there is a meeting in the air. Amen, there is a promise. And that's what believers believe. Are you a believer this morning? Do you receive it in Jesus' name? Amen, do you receive it and say, I receive that word. I receive that promise. I love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. There's going to be a meeting in the air in that sweet, sweet by and by. Will you sing it with me? Let's just worship God together. Amen. Give me the first verse of that. Amen. Worship the Lord with me now. Come on. Amen. I know I preached long, wore you out. (laughs) You think I got it all? I didn't. But I crammed as much as I could. Yeah, you need to pray for Sister Karen to come home. I've been by myself out on a little cabin on the lake. Been doing a lot of study. Got a lot of hay on my fork. You need to pray. She hurries up and returns home. So, Lord, let it get back to normal again. Oh, don't you see the dry bones coming back together? Don't you see God gathering that elect from the four winds? Don't you see the Holy Spirit breathing out, filling men and women with the Holy Ghost, capping off the church with the mysteries of God, and now going to take us into the great headstone? And just before he comes, Brother Joe, there's a ministry that matches him. In order for him to fit down, you see, as the headstone comes up like this, if it come back here, the headstone would been, wouldn't fit. What if it come way back here? But when it comes up to the peak, it's perfect for the headstone to come down. And in order for that to happen, there has to be a people on the earth, a ministry that matches the headstone coming. <laughs> and when that last one, when that last living stone is put in, the church then the Gentile dispensation is over mercy is over don't go to say in the resurrection's past and oh we're past the Laodicean age we're past the message well I don't go there well somebody else will take it and go there don't don't take them don't don't get out in that land Other people come out there and build concentration camps. Stay with the message. There's nothing, there is no word, the word cannot climb above the Laodicean age. This is it. You know, as much as you might love me and respect me, I I can't bring something the prophet didn't bring. It'd be a lie. There's no mysteries to be revealed. I can only point back to what he said. And that's what I'm trying to do. And don't ever lose your expectancy. 
As we sang last Sunday at the close, you saw me get a little melancholy there. I'm longing for that glorious day when Jesus shall come back. Yeah, I know we're in the rapture. I know the prophet was a part of it. I know the bride is a part of it. I know we're the we're the, the voice. Those who prophesy again, I, I, I get all that. But I want Jesus. I want him to come back. If you hadn't received him today, I want him for you. I want Jesus to come to you. But if he's come for you, I want him to come from there where we meet him in the air. What a day that will be. Can I talk to you just a moment more, please? I know you're weary. But I got you standing in changed positions for a minute. I'm about to sing the song. Don't give up on me. But you know why the Jews became so hated and despised? It's called Jacob's trouble in the Bible. What got Jacob in trouble? He began to look at himself as so blessed that he could cheat and run over others to excel. The Jews knew they were the bride to Jehovah. They they became so prideful that they were God's chosen people and everybody else was dogs. Gentiles. And this elitism caused them to be hated. They knew whoever blessed them was blessed and whoever cursed them were cursed. And they took this as a reason to think of themselves better than others. Hitler turned that on them. He made them the scum of the earth. Hated by all nations. He took their sacred star of David and pinned it on them as a symbol of trash. Worthy only of death. We can cause ourselves to become hated and despised and persecuted because of our own stupid arrogance. Can you imagine today when people are preaching and preachers are preaching such elitism that mercy can only come from those who they call the bride? That they can give mercy or withhold mercy? Can you believe that it's being taught that people can only be saved if somehow they're in a favorable position to a member of this supposed bride that we have the power to, to remit or, or, or retain sins you know our power to retain and remit sins over people does not come by them being our friends or because There's somebody that loves us or we love them. You know how we remit sins? By getting people to repent. Turn from their sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the only power of remittance of sin that we have. You know, you said, Brother Tim, the bride is the only one that has mercy. 
tell me something. Tell me about that multitude without number. Those people who are saved. How were they saved? Let me ask you, how were they saved? Oh, people can only be saved today. They're going to be saved because they were nice to me. They did, that man done something nice. That gives him a place in heaven. Where did we get that prideful elitism? Whoever blesses us is blessed. Whoever curses us is cursed. I ask you again, this innumerable multitude in the tribulation, how were they saved? Because they were nice to us? Because it was some kinfolk, bride-to-bride relation, people who believed the message, and so they granted them life? How did they get there? You know how they got there? They got there. Is anybody listening? They got there because they washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. They didn't do it because they were good friends of Tim Pruitt or Evening Light Tabernacle. and They rubbed shoulders. Oh, they gave us a donation to our church. That's not why they're there. Read your Bible. They got there by washing their robes in the blood of the Lamb. So, Brother Tim, will there be people giving life on the other side? Well, he said, a cup of cold water given in the name of the disciple. You won't lose your reward. But this is not why they were there. They were there because they washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Do you know what that means? There's a bunch of people that are going to be, have eternal life that was not in the bride. They weren't kin to bride members. And they didn't even know. Some of these didn't even know the bride. You say, how in the world could that be? You know, they got to have been saved because they knew us and did something nice to us. No, that ain't why they were saved. Read your Bible. We're in a Bible land. Don't go out here and some of this other stuff. Stay in the Bible. Why were they saved? They washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. The Lamb was still atoning for people who was not even bride. Now, here's your prophet. Brother Brandon said, he's great. This tribulation period, saints that come up that went through great tribulation. The church will not go through tribulation. You know, they're already in glory. And here's the tribulation, saints, the sanctified ones that had been its mine and your fault. They never heard the word. If they heard it and rejected it, they went on to hell. They was cast out into darkness because they rejected the word. But if they would never heard it, God is just. And the tribulation comes to them. Do you know some of these people out in Baptist, Methodist, and Presbyterian, saved in Billy Graham's meetings and other places, and with a true heart given their lives to Christ, do you know they're going to have eternal life? And yet they didn't know the message. Don't get this prideful elitism. It's got to come through us. If you ain't somehow good to me, you can't be saved. Come on. 
That's not the land of the Bible. The land of the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins. And Gentiles, you may think I'm going out on a limb, but Gentiles right now, out there in the systems, Brother Branham called them virgins. He said, they're coming to buy oil. They're without oil. They have, it. They, they have a profession. They professed in Jesus, but they're lacking the Holy Ghost. You know, the only difference between you and them is the token, the Holy Ghost. They, they had the blood. Come on, they washed the robes in it. They did works of sanctification, but they didn't get the Spirit. Because the Holy Ghost to prepare you for the rapture only comes by the message of the hour. But don't count them out over there. You know, oh, that bob-haired woman, God won't even hear a prayer. You know why God won't hear a bob-haired woman's prayer? That's because if she knows the truth and, is de- and, and de- denies what the Word says and refuses to do it, her heart condemns her. So God will not hear a condemned heart. But a bob-haired woman that don't know any better can still get a prayer answered. quit this Jewish elitism and come back to Bible truths and show mercy and love to everybody you can you know the spirit and the bride say come and whoever's thirsty come and drink of the water of life freely I know you might be chewing on what I said a little bit but it's really a relief to me to know that some of them sincere men and women God somehow is going to find grace for them some of them might be your relative your mom, your dad, your somebody out there trapped in them consecration camps and they didn't get back to the land of the Bible some denominational wall held them back but you did and you escaped don't look at them as their scum Look at them. God showed you mercy. And you're here where the Messiah can come. God bless you. I've got so much I could preach forever. Amen. Let's sing it. Give me that verse. And then we gotta we gotta get this young person baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. You have heard of little Moses in the bull rush. This is our lamb. You have heard of fearless David. I sing. We've been praying that loud. You have heard us story told us.
blessed appearing soon he's coming back amen to take us home aren't you looking forward to that amen brother tony bring your your young lady down to the altar here if you will man your wife wants to come we'll just have prayer with her before she goes to be buried in the name of jesus amen aren't you glad mercy's still open <laughs> amen. amen aren't you glad god is still calling how long will it be as long as he's still calling amen as many as our lord thy god shall call brother joe come help me pray and brother brother michael you know just lead us in that again as we just ask the lord's blessings on abigail well